0: Well, you know, Passover is indeed coming, and I've sort of taken a, yet another break from Acts. Uh, and uh, we will continue. We're in chapter 16. We will continue. But uh, I thought uh, we'd kind of get in the Passover mood. How do you get in the Passover mood? Well, I, you know, there is a passage of Scripture that we read on uh, Jewish holidays. I not every single jewish holiday but for sure on passover and shavuot which is the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles in the fall Uh, and over the next three weeks we are going to uh, look at this passage of uh, scripture Uh, it is known as hallel hallel which means praise and it is psalms 113 through psalm 118 113 to psalm 118 uh, it's called the hallel psalms and uh, technically it's called the egyptian hallel because uh, psalm 114 specifically talks about the exodus out of egypt uh, and um, uh, at another time uh, we can learn all about the difference between the egyptian hallel and the great hallel and and uh, how it's uh, said a little bit differently on the intermediate days of Passover, as opposed to the beginning and the end of Passover, but that's not important for our our purposes right now. What we want to understand is just how important these Psalms are in in the uh, Jewish uh, world. Uh, So uh, on Passover, uh, at the beginning and at the end, uh, the entirety of Psalms 113 through Psalm 118 are read. And then also on the first and second day of Shavuot, and all throughout uh, all throughout uh, Sukkot, the part of the service, uh, if um, if you've been to a uh, um, a traditional synagogue with a traditional synagogue service, it takes place in the second. It's in the second half. <laughs> uh, it takes place um, uh, toward the end of the service. Uh, and uh, it, it and, and people are very familiar with it. Uh, there's special prayers that you say before the Hallel and at the end of it, uh, and they are um, they are very uh, they are very significant uh, in the rabbinic literature, the literature of the rabbis. We learn some important things about these psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Uh, we learn, for example, that. Uh, they were said as a unit in the second temple period. That's really important to us. That's really important to us. That means that in Yeshua's day, Psalms 113 through Psalm 118 was a unit that was said on these different holidays at Passover in particular. Uh, And uh, we're familiar with, with some of them just by reading the Haggadah because they're also... Not in their entirety. Well, actually, perhaps they are uh, in their entire. We don't always read all of them. But Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 uh, is uh, you know in the Haggadah, and they were read in the days of Yeshua. And that is why Yeshua quotes uh, certain parts of uh, Psalm 113 uh, through Psalm 118. We also understand from the uh, rabbinic literature in, in the Talmud that uh, one of the reasons why these psalms are read is because uh, they uh, contain the tenets of uh, of Judaism. Not tenets like, you know, living in a boarding house, right? Uh, but but uh, major beliefs uh, in the Jewish world. For example, the Exodus, the giving of the Torah uh, by God at Sinai, the future resurrection of the dead, and the coming of the Messiah. Uh, they are alluded to in one way or another uh, in these psalms. They're important for us to understand today because when we come to Passover, when we come to the celebration of Passover, it's not just about remembering that it happened, but it is being thankful that that it happened. Uh, It is giving praise and thanksgiving to God for his care and love for us. Uh, and, it, and it's supposed to motivate us in difficult times of oppression that let's remember what God did. You know, remember the Passover. <laughs> you know, that is uh, uh, what we are uh, uh, supposed to be doing. And that is why there is so much emphasis on remembering it. Last week in our message, we talked about that. We talked about the fact how, how many verses there are in the Bible that tell us to remember the Passover. Passover and tell it to our children, and to our children's children, Uh, and how Passover was celebrated in the wilderness, and how they they would actually be a little flexible on the rules of celebrating Passover to make sure that it could be celebrated all the way through uh, the time of the kings. We, We learned that. We learned that Yeshua celebrated Passover, not only that one time just before he died, but throughout his life. We read about Passover when he's born. We read about Passover uh, through his early ministry, the middle of it and the end of it. Uh, we read in uh, the uh, the letters of Rab Shaul, the letters of Paul, Messiah is our Passover, sacrificed for us. Uh, in the book of Revelation, Yeshua is referred to as the Lamb of God over and over again. And the phrase Lamb of God points us back to uh, the, uh, the Exodus, it's not about Mary had a little lamb, okay? Uh, even though Mary is in it and lamb is in it, right? No, it's about the, uh, the exodus out of Egypt, the lamb back in Egypt. When, when, when John says, behold, the lamb of God, he's referring to, well, Yeshua is like the one who's bringing the second exodus, you know, uh, the, the second Passover, so it's extremely, uh, you know, important to us, and it reminds us of, uh, you know, of who God is. Uh, and uh, you know, one writer, uh, one writer said this. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, he says it talks about not only the exodus out of Egypt, but it speaks directly uh, of raising, uh, raising the downtrodden. Uh, uh personal thanksgiving, corporate thanksgiving, a vision for the world, uh, and uh, the uh, celebration uh, of the holiday, uh, and uh, a recognition and reminder that the Passover ultimately, the deliverance ultimately applies not only to Israel, but to the nations of the world. So how important are these, uh, are these psalms? So what we want to do today, I, I decided... Um, you know it's interesting. They're divided up by writers into very different ways. It, it makes for a very interesting Hebrew study because some have a uh, you know use the Hebrew text to show uh, how there's uh, how all the psalms are connected to each other. Uh, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Actually, you could make a case going all the way back to Psalm 107. But that's another story for that's another story for another day. Uh, but I've divided them up into three parts because it, it's interesting how it works out. Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 basically I, uh, I talk about the redemption out of Egypt and, and how much God loves us, right? Psalm 115 and Psalm 116 uh, I talk about life after the exodus, that, uh, that walking in the wilderness and in the history of Israel, uh, and in our own lives, when we apply this to ourselves, uh, life can be very difficult. Uh, but God walks with us through the difficulty. That's really what Psalm one fifteen and one sixteen is about. And then Psalm one seventeen and one eighteen is about the about the uh, you know the messianic uh, times and the inclusion of the nations and. And uh, uh, and verses that we're familiar with, like the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, which which we read about, you know, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Yeshua uh, makes some important statements about that that we will we will talk about. So uh, this week we will talk about a little bit about Psalm one thirteen and Psalm one fourteen. Next week, Psalm 115 and Psalm 116. And then right on Passover, uh, Psalm 117 and Psalm 118. So that'll be kind of fun. Uh, So today, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. I think uh, so far in the last five minutes, I've said the words 113 to 118 uh, so many times that is now embedded in your mind and your brain forever, right? Okay, there it is. All right. So uh, at the beginning of Psalm 113, we read, Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord! Uh, And of course, praise uh, uh, the Lord, hallelujah. That's why they're called hallel. Hallel means praise. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Uh, And uh, so how appropriate uh, are these psalms they are called the praise the Lord psalms, uh, therefore, right? Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord! Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Right? We know that like, Micha mocha, right? Who is like you? Right? Right there from like Exodus 15 who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then uh, Psalm 114, When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs tremble o earth before the lord before the god of jacob who turned the rock into a pool of water the flint into a fountain of water and so we see here uh, praise to god for who he is and what he's done for us in bringing us out of egypt hence the egyptian hallel right all right so we see at the beginning an emphasis on The word, the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord. You notice in in the first few verses of Psalm 113, it says that over and over again, the name uh, of uh, the name of the uh, Lord. Remember back in Exodus chapter three uh, and in Exodus chapter six, that's where Moses is learning uh, what he's going to do and he's learning about God himself, right? Uh, And uh, Moses says to God, who shall I say sent me? Right, uh, and uh, and God uh, explains to him who he is, who he is, uh, and uh, really, it's uh, I will be who I will be. Even though our, our English translations say "I am that I am," uh, it's uh, uh, really more uh, uh, literal to say "I am who I am." God, in other words, saying, "You'll see, I will be, uh, I will be who I say that I am." I guess you you could say, uh, and then in chapter six he explains to Moses uh, that he's going to be known by Yudhe Vavhe uh, in your Bibles. That's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? Uh, Lord or Adonai. Sometimes we say, you know, when when we when we pray, Yudhe Vavhe, the unpronounceable uh, name of God. Uh, sometimes uh, that's where that's where the word Jehovah comes from, or Yahweh. Uh, uh, however we, uh, we try to pronounce it, uh, but that is the, the personal name of God. And, and in Exodus chapter 6, uh, God tells Moses that, you know, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't really know me by that name. They knew me by El Shaddai. In other words, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they pretty much knew God as the God who uh, gives us an inheritance, uh, the God who gives us descendants, you know, you read the stories of the miraculous birth of, of uh, you, you know, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, Isaac, uh, you know, and then you read about the birth of, uh, you know, Jacob and Esau, and then you read about, you read genealogies, descendants, the family of Israel comes to be. God is the one who brings it to pass. Uh, and even though the, the name uh, Adonai or vav Vavhei uh, is all, all over the place in Brashid and Genesis, it's not until we come to the Exodus, the story of the redemption of Israel out of Egypt, where we could say, you know, the people know who he is, that they know his name. He's the deliverer. Not his name, like uh, literally. Uh, LORD or Yudhey Vavhe, but we know who he is. He's our deliverer. And from the time of the exodus to this very day, that is the primary understanding of who God is. He's the deliverer. When we read the liturgy in, uh, you know, in, in a sedur, uh, God is our deliverer. He's our redeemer. In fact, in the prophets, that's how he's known. Uh, the one who delivers us, the one who redeems us. And if you read carefully in the Prophets, uh, we read a lot more about coming out of Egypt than we do about the calling out of Abraham. Not that the calling out of Abraham is not important or anything, but corporately for Israel, Israel is supposed to remember, remember what God did for you when he brought you out of Egypt. You You know how in Hosea he says, Oh, Ephraim, Ephraim, how can I give you up, Ephraim? And then he talks about bringing them out of Egypt. And so we're to remember this great redemption that God gave to us so that we remember that he is indeed our Redeemer. He is indeed our Deliverer. And in the person of Yeshua, Yeshua is the incarnate yud Vavhe. vav and he is indeed the uh, Redeemer uh, of, of Israel. And so when we read here, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth or forever. And always, right, Uh, his name is to be praised. Uh, uh, The glory is high above all nations. The Lord is high above all nations. The glory above the heavens. His glory above the heavens. He is greater than any nation. He is the one and only deliverer. Uh, that there is. He is the one and only God. And then you see in verse 5, who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? There's no one like him. He's the greatest, He's the biggest. Uh, he's the most. It, you know there's no one like there's not enough words in the dictionary to describe the greatness uh, the greatness of God. And then notice it says though, who humbles himself." You know, that, that uh, you know should kind of surprise us uh, uh, a, a little bit, right? Uh, uh, the one who humbles him, the greatest one that there is, humbles himself. It's like, whoa, whoa, we're not expecting that. To see, to behold the things that are in heaven and the things that are in the earth. Uh, And then it goes on to say, not only does he see it, but he gets involved. He not only sees what's going on and cares what's going on, but he does something about it. That's why it says, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Right? Uh, To make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise uh, the Lord. Now, historically, what this is talking about is coming out of Egypt. Uh, And it is very interesting, uh, the things uh, that we read uh, about this in the Scriptures. If you go back to Exodus uh, in chapter 2, Remember that a lot of time has passed. Over 400 years have passed since uh, uh, Joseph uh, was there, and and Jacob, and you know, and the mishpacha, uh went to Egypt. A lot of time has passed. A lot of generations have come and gone. You know, think about that. Uh, if this, you know, do how much do we remember about what happened around 1600? Not a whole lot right well that was a little more than 400 years ago right we don't remember that why do we think that uh, by word of mouth all of the uh, millions of israelites in egypt are going to remember everything about abraham isaac and jacob 400 years later right uh, and and that's why i would suggest moses at the beginning of exodus had to ask god who shall i say send me you know uh, that he himself needed some discipleship and understanding uh, about, uh, about God. So anyway, in Exodus chapter 2, toward the end of the chapter, it says this. Verse 20, yes, verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed, moaned, oy right? because of the bondage, and they cried out. You know, I always find that fascinating, and others have pointed this out. It doesn't say they cried out to God. This is kind of interesting. It just says they cried out. And then it says, and their cry for help, because of their bondage, rose up to God. It's like God is the one who's taking the initiative Uh, you know they just cried out oh this is horrible and god heard their cry so god heard their groaning and god remembered his covenant with abraham isaac and jacob and god saw the sons of israel and god took notice of them and so we see here that here god almighty the the great one and only God, who is above the, 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 the heavens, uh, uh, he heard, he remembered them, first of all. He remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he sees in Egypt those people in their little huts, and he sees and he hears them crying, so he's not so far away that he cannot hear. Even though he is indeed transcendent, as we like to say, he is imminent. He is right there in the trenches. And so uh, we see he humbles himself in order to see this. And we read in a variety of places you know, about this kind of thing. You know, uh, God, it's interesting, when you look at the prophets, for example, when you read the prophets, you see that God gets very angry when people are not treated well. That he cares. He sees it. He sees the oppression. He sees the hurt. He sees the bad things that are going on, in not only in the world, but in our own lives. He sees it, and he cares deeply about it. I think we are so used to saying that that oftentimes we actually forget to actually believe it, you know, and recognize it, that God is in the trenches with us. That's why you need, you know, you read passages. For example, there's all kinds, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read one. In uh, Jeremiah, the prophet uh, Jeremiah, in the seventh seventh chapter, he says... um, In verse 5 of uh, Jeremiah 7, If you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after the gods of your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in, in deceptive words to no avail. You know what the deceptive words they were believing in? Hey, nothing can happen to us. We're God's people. Nothing bad can happen to us. That's what they were believing. And so Jeremiah is saying, You're listening to the wrong voices. It's not good news right now. Right? You need to repent and uh, you need to care for the vulnerable people. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered? That you may do all these abominations? Wow. That's what God is saying. How dare you? He's saying, How dare you come into the temple and say, praise the Lord, when you're living a horrible life and treating people horribly and uh, you know, taking me off the throne and having all other kinds of gods whom you worship. How dare you? That's what he's saying there. And he says that because he's angry. Why is he angry? He cares about the people. Yes, he cares about his name, you know, Israel was dragging his name through the mud, but the nature of God is that we glorify His name. One way is when we treat people ethically and morally, because that's how God does. That's His nature. That's His character, and that's uh, we're called to have uh, that. Uh, you know that that character as um, as, as well. And so, uh, it is amazing to think here. That God is, is uh, the great and awesome God, yet he humbles himself to see what's going on and to interact with his creation. He sympathizes uh, with us. And of course, um, we know that uh, uh, when, the, uh, when the Messiah came, we have uh, perhaps the greatest experience of all of this love of God. You know, you know that here's another verse. Here's a verse that we say that we oftentimes uh, uh, we say it so often, or we believe it so easily that we forget the import of it. In this way, God loved the world that He sent Yeshua so that we might have eternal life and not die in our sins. That's a little paraphrase, right? Uh, and uh, that is how, by sending Yeshua, God demonstrated. His love for this, uh, for this world. Uh, you, you know, we, there's a lot of passages uh, that we that we could uh, talk about. Uh, you know, uh, one of them uh, is in the book of Hebrews, and I'm kind of kind of high on Hebrews right now, right? Uh, uh, with our chavurah groups and going through the book of Hebrews. Well, you know, uh, the concept at the beginning of uh, Hebrews is that god has spoken to us in sonship he's spoken to us now via the Son, uh and what that means is that yeshua the incarnate son of god god is speaking to us in the most powerful direct way through yeshua i uh, then you know the then uh than ever before and then it goes on to talk about how great he is he's greater than the angels you know yeshua was not an angel He's And he's greater uh, than the um, than the angels. And his greatness is demonstrated in the most. here's a paradox. His the greatness of Yeshua is demonstrated in the fact that he humbled himself and became for a while lower than the angels, right? Living in this world. but yet that is part of his exaltation, right? And that uh, Yeshua, by taking on human flesh, by the Son taking on human flesh, uh, is exalted, but he, he forevermore can relate to us in a way that had never been before. And you know, there's an amazing verse where it talks about here that, you know, He tasted death for everyone, and then He rose from the dead, and He ascended to the, to the right hand of the Father. He's glorified humanity, and as glorified humanity, He brings us, They're with him, you know. Uh, And but there's an amazing verse. There is an amazing verse here in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 2. It says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's him and us, right, are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed. To call them brethren, that we are uniquely connected to Yeshua because of you know because of his humbling himself, and so you know when you go back to um, Psalm one thirteen, uh, when, when we when you go back to Psalm one thirteen and it talks about humbling himself. You You know it is uh, uh, it just brings it uh, 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 to life. He humbled himself, he raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Well, he's talking there about our ancestors who were slaves in Egypt, but certainly we can make the application to ourselves that while we were yet enemies, Messiah died for us. you know. While uh, we were sinners, he says, Yeshua died for us. That's in that's in Romans chapter five, and we know from Philippians chapter two that he humbled himself in such a way uh, uh, that he showed deference in such a way. He humbled uh, uh, himself uh, and uh, recognized that the Bible says that he he emptied himself, which means that he suffered. He suffered as a human being. Uh, right? His equality with God God was not something that that he wanted to laud, but he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on that tree for our sake. The God of the universe, the one who was all-powerful, the one who could have uh, struck Pontius Pilate dead and, and everybody else, he allowed himself to be humiliated and to suffer because of his love for you and me and this whole world. And so here we see it. What a reason to say praise the Lord. Hallelujah, right? So I uh, uh, you know it, it goes on to say even in the even in the ancient times and, and remembering who Israel is uh, you know and coming out of Egypt, not only he lifts them from the needy out of the ash heap, to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. He's basically talking here uh, about, "I redeemed you out of Egypt, and I gave you a new identity. You're not just a, a slaves who have been taken out of Egypt, but I am going to make you into a great, you are a great people. Uh, who represent me in this world, and I am going to give you descendants upon descendants. You know, and uh, uh, and certainly this is what was in perhaps, uh, you know, the minds of some of the other uh, psalm writers and elsewhere uh, where we read, uh, you know, a joyful mother of children. Uh, very, very important. So now this continues in Psalm 114. Now he gets very specific about, the coming out of Egypt. It says, when Israel went forth from Egypt, from the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary uh, and Israel his dominion. See, one thirteen is about, wow, we were nobodies and God made us into somebodies. We were slaves for hundreds of years. God remembered us and he took us out of Egypt despite ourselves. Do you know that in the 20th chapter of Ezekiel, You can read that uh, maybe this afternoon. Ezekiel is reminding the exiles in Babylon that uh, God has not forgotten them and to remember the exodus. But in in that chapter, he says that that our ancestors in Egypt were worshiping the idols. And despite that, even, even though they were doing that, God brought them out of Egypt. Despite that. He takes us the way we are, you know, and uh, and, and so it's an amazing truth. Now, one fourteen is now when we came out of Egypt. What happened, you know? So here we are. So when Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob, a peep from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary; Israel his dominion. Whoa, you know that's a that, that that's a, that's a mini course right there. Verse two, right? Judah became his holy place. Israel became his place of authority, the place where he rules from. What he's saying here is, when it says Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion, he's not saying, well, the tribe of Judah versus the whole nation, okay? He's saying that this people, Judah, the, the primary uh, tribe, but the whole nation became like ground zero for the presence of God in this world. Uh, and just, you know, as we read in um, Exodus uh, chapter 19, uh, we read here, uh, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, and And so he's saying, That I came and dwelt with you. I dwelt with you in the wilderness. And so I basically the the kingdom of God is becoming established in the peoplehood of Israel right there in the wilderness. Right there at Sinai and then traveling along with the, the people. And so the presence of God is in the sanctuary. Remember we said, uh, like from this week's Torah portion, the glory of the Lord fills the the tabernacle. The presence of God was there. Israel uh, is the place where God rules from. And we need to remember that, uh, you know, that uh, Yeshua is the messianic king, the king of Israel. He is the fulfillment, one might say, the final installment of the kings of israel and whenever we come to uh, embrace yeshua we come under the kingship of the god of israel or the kingship of israel <laughs> uh, and how important uh, is that uh, so here you know it goes from chapter one from psalm 113 he raises the poor from the dust now we're talking about they become his sanctuary they become his the place of his rulership, and then he, then we have a description of the the fantastic splendor and glory of God that took place uh, in the physical world. The sea looked and fled; the Jordan turned back. Speaking certainly that you know the parting of the waters, uh, right? Of uh, speaking of entering entering the wilderness and leaving the wilderness, basically. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back? You know, very poetic. The mountains that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. One thing we learn here is that God is more powerful than the currents of the sea. Uh, God is more powerful than than the force of nature, you know? I uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls. If you've ever been there, I used to live not too far away from it, and I've been there a number of times. And you can go like underneath the falls, where you're standing there and they're coming down, down right in front of you. That that is powerful. I mean that. Like the fury of God, you know, I think you get the, the feeling of, of of there. But God is more powerful. and he did the, the splendorous, wondrous things, and the nations became uh, afraid. Tremble, O earth before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water. Uh, they flint into a uh, fountain of water. You know, back in Exodus, Chapter 15, which is an, another great poem uh, about this, uh, we, read, uh, we read in there, beginning in verse 13, it says, In thy loving kindness, thou hast led the people whom thou hast redeemed. In thy strength thou hast guided them to thy holy habitation. The people have heard they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. Uh, they are motionless as stone until thy people pass over, O Lord, until thy people pass over whom thou hast purchased. Thou wilt bring them and plant them into the mountain, in the mountain of thine inheritance the place, O Lord, where thou hast made for thy dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands uh, have established. And so when we look at Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, it should really get us excited about passover it should get us excited about this holiday we're remembering yes about our ancestors we're remembering how god took us out of egypt and made us into a people to this very day right and he's redeemed us and he's continued to do so you know i uh, think about in the history of, of israel all of the moments of near extermination throughout history god has Continually removed that from us, despite ourselves. Yes, he chastens us, but he never does away with us. And so as Messiah followers, as those who have embraced the Messiah, he has taken us from wherever we have been, and he has removed us from darkness to light, uh, from being uh, confused about God and, and destiny, to having clarity about who God is and our destiny, to know that God really never leaves us or forsakes us. No matter how bad life may be, no matter how bad things may get, we know that God is ever-present with us. And so as we approach Passover, no matter where we're at, may may we begin to think this way. And as we approach the end of March, when we get to the celebration of the Seder, uh, may we be thinking about, wow, God is indeed my deliverer. He is my stronghold in times of trouble. And may we be able to understand our relationship with God in taking the long view and not just, this is what's happening in my life. I don't, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. But to be able to remember where we, where we have been and where we are going. When the Israelites in the wilderness could remember where they have been and remember where they were going, they were able to tolerate, persevere, and navigate through the present. And so may we be able to do that. Remember the redemption, being redeemed from the bondage of, of sin and and uh, idolatry and, uh, and all of wherever we've come from. And remember what our destiny is to be with the Lord forever, we can get through whatever it is is going on right now. And that is the beginning of what we're remembering here. We're remembering where we come from in Psalm 113 and 14. Whether we're talking about ourselves as Israel or as Messiah followers, we have indeed been redeemed. We were in the ash heap. We were in the dust, and he has made us to sit with princes, even with the princes of his people. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this great truth in these psalms. And I pray, Lord, over the next few weeks, we might meditate on these psalms and that we might remember, God, that you indeed do care about us. You care about us. You care about uh, the nations. Lord and uh, God, I pray uh, that uh, we would uh, understand that and appreciate it. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.